Okay, so chapter nine is lifespan development. So an introduction, people change physically, psychosocially throughout their lives, throughout their lifetimes. We're going to break down these different age groups of people. And ENTs must be able to incorporate knowledge of each stage into the patient assessment management. We have to kind of change how we assess a patient kind of based on that age. We're going to assess a 23-year-old completely different than we're going to assess a three-year-old. Same is true for a geriatric patient or patients that have special needs. We have to change the way that we do our assessment based on what type of patient that we're dealing with. And one important aspect of this is going to be the vital signs by age. Most, all of your vital signs, with the exception of blood sugar and uh, pulse ox, those are going to be dependent on age. So you can see these normal uh, vital sign ranges based on age. So heart rate, adult resting heart rate is 60 to 100. That's what we consider normal. Respiratory rate, breathing is 12 to 20 per minute. And then you'll look at this chart and you notice that the younger the kid gets for pulse rate and respiratory rate, the faster their pulse and respiratory rate get, the younger they are. So moving all the way down to a neonate, their resting heart rate can be anywhere from 100 to 205 beats per minute. And that's perfectly normal. Their respiratory rate is considerably faster than an adult patient's as well, 40 to 60 breaths per minute. Systolic blood pressure, <clears throat> diastolic blood pressure. So an adult, the textbook definition of a normal blood pressure for an adult is 120 over 80. The younger a patient gets, the lower their normal blood pressure is. Again, going all the way down until we get to a neonate where their systolic, which is that top number, is 67 to 84 over that diastolic, 35 to 53. So the, again, the younger that patient is, we expect their blood pressure to be lower than that of an adult. <clears throat> so again, we're going to just kind of start going through these different age groups and kind of talk about some of the differences in them. So with neonates and infants, definition of a neonate is from birth to one month of age. So that first month of life, they're considered a neonate. And then we have an infant that is one month of age all the way up to one year of age. And during this time, that kid is going to go through rapid growth and development. There is a significant difference between a newly born baby compared to a, an 11-month-old or a one-year-old child. So again, neonate is from birth to one month of age. And again, compare that all the way up to a one-year-old, just ending this, that stage of infancy. Again, the one previous can't even hold their head up, can't support their head with their neck. This one is interacting with us, making eye contact, facial expressions, able to hold herself up, even possibly, probably beginning to walk as well. So again, vital signs. At birth, for vital signs. Respiratory rate can be 40 to 60 breaths per minute at birth, normally starts slowing down to 30 to 40 breaths per minute within a few minutes. That, again, that is still considerably faster than that of an adult patient. 
Title volume. Well, what do I mean by title volume? Does anybody remember title volume? Title volume is the amount of air that the patient is breathing in and out with each breath. So their tidal volume is roughly six to eight milliliters per kilogram. Heart rate is 140 to 160 at the moment of birth, decreasing to 100 to 160. Systolic blood pressure, again, that top number averages about 70 millimeters of mercury. In the next chapter, we'll talk about, or chapter 11, I'm sorry, we'll talk more about vital signs. For us in a pre-hospital setting, we do not worry about obtaining blood pressures on kids three or under. So they need to be above three before we start worrying about taking blood pressures. And their core temperature is 98 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. By age one year of age, again, their respiratory rates is going to slow down some, 20 to 30 breaths per minute. Idle volume is going to increase 10 to 15 milliliters per kilogram. Resting heart rates 120 beats per minute. Systolic blood pressure can rise normal is 90 millimeters of mercury. And their temperature is 98 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Again, temperature is not going to change too much. Physiologic changes. Average birth weight of a newborn is three to three and a half kilograms. And again, when we're dealing with medicine, we deal weight base. Weight is always expressed in kilograms, but that's going to translate to 6.6 .6 to 7.7 .7 pounds. Of their entire weight, the 25% of their weight comes from their head. So their heads are proportionately larger than that of adult patients. Birth rate normally drops five to 10% in the first two weeks. It is perfectly normal and expected for a newborn kiddo to lose weight those first two weeks of life. That, again, that's expected, that's normal. That's what we expect to see to happen. However, after those first two weeks, the kid should never start to lose weight again. After those two weeks, the kid should continuously be gaining weight as they age. And their initial diet is going to be a breast milk and formula. Kiddos typically do not get introduced to any types of solid foods until they're about six months of age. So again, they're totally dependent on milk or formula. Primarily nose breathers until four weeks of age. So again, those neonates don't really realize they can breathe out of their nose. So something as simple as just nasal congestion in a neonate within that first month can cause pretty significant respiratory distress in those kids. Their airways are smaller than that of adults, so they're extremely easily obstructed. Choking is going to be a real concern. They also have fewer alveoli and lung tissue. Uh, and sorry, and the lung tissue is more fragile, especially if we're having to ventilate a newborn or an infant with a BVM. We have to be very, very cautious ventilating these patients that we don't overinflate, hyperinflate too quickly, because that can cause a significant lung damage, pop, bust a lung. Chest wall is soft, and they have weak accessory muscles as well. Again, those accessory muscles 
with adults, those help us breathe if we're having respiratory distress. Infants, neonates, they do not have that muscle strength in their chest walls yet or their neck or their stomach. So they're not going to be able to rely on accessory muscles like adults can. So they can get fatigued very quickly from significant respiratory distress. They get fatigued, uh, those muscles start failing, and now they go into respiratory failure where they're not breathing adequately on their own. Again, they're working extremely hard to breathe. They're breathing extremely quickly as well. That can actually cause kiddos, and that's something that we do worry about with kiddos with severe respiratory distress leading to dehydration in them as well. And it can also cause them to be to start losing body temperature, heat as well. Their immune systems are very immature, can't fight off infections. So things like their immunizations are going to be very important for neonates and infants. Infants do have several important reflexes that are designed to help protect them. Cough reflex, for example startle reflex, and so forth. When we're assessing kiddos, we want to make sure that their extremity movement is symmetrical. If they're moving one arm pretty freely, they should be moving both arms. Same thing with their legs. It should be the same, roughly the same type of movement on both sides. If we're not seeing that, if we're seeing movement only on one side of the body compared to the other side of the body, that's going to be pretty indicative of some type of head trauma for the patient. Inability to localize pain. Kids cry for everything. They cry when they're pissed off. They cry when they're hurting. They cry when they're hot. They cry when they're cold. They can't tell you what is wrong. So if a kid's hurting somewhere, it's gonna be very hard for us to determine where they're hurting or exactly if they're hurting because they're, all they're gonna be doing is crying. Infants are going to have fontanelles, those fontanelles or their soft spots on their skull. So they have a posterior fontanelle, closes at three months, posterior towards the back. So they're out in the center, kind of towards the back. That should begin to close up about three months. The anterior, the front ones, the larger one, closes between nine and 18 months. And that is something that we do need to assess. If the kid has fontanelles, their soft spots are still present. We need to assess those soft spots. Feel them gently, rubbing your hand over. If we notice that those soft spots feel extremely sunken in or they're, they're kind of pitted or we can feel it, uh, that may indicate severe dehydration, blood loss, something along those lines. If they're bulging, on the other hand, where they're protruding, trying to, it would feel a raised area, that may indicate head trauma with increased intracranial pressure. We'll talk much more about ICP uh, once we get into the trauma section. But again, those fontanelles can be a very valuable tool for us to assess. So take the time, run your hand over those fontanelles. Psychologic changes, these are milestones. And this is, I don't know if anybody in here has kids, but once you take your kiddos to the doctors for their checkups, one thing that your doctor's gonna check for is making sure that your kiddo is reaching these type of milestones. So by the age of two months, kids should be able to do things like track, track objects 
with their eyes. If we move something around in front of them and they're interested in it, paying attention, they should follow that item with their eyes. Should be able to focus on objects eight to 12 inches away from them. They should also be able to recognize familiar faces. They know who their parents are, their mom, their dad is, family members, and they're going to be more comfortable being around their family members. And display their primary emotions. They do have facial expressions. Able to recognize familiar sounds and voices. And they'll be able to move in response to stimulus as well. If we grab their hand or so forth, they can pull away, they can squeeze on their fingers, etc. At six months, they should be able to sit upright in a high chair. They should be start starting to make noises, one syllable sounds, ma, da, etc. Should be able to support their upper body when they're on their stomach. So they should be able to push off the ground with their hands to hold their upper upper body up, to look around, hold their heads up, etc. Grasp and shake hand toys. Follow moving objects with his eyes. Again, their eyesights are going to start improving, so they're going to start to be able to recognize familiar objects at greater distances as now. And again, it's at that six month, normally, that kiddos are starting to get to introduce into more solid food. So again, as soon as they're introduced into more solid food, that's going to increase the possibility of choking for them as well. One-year milestones should be able to sit without assistance, should be able to walk with help. They should be able to know, know their own name. If family or somebody calls their name, they should understand that they are the ones being talked to. Crawl or creep on their hands and knees. Put objects into containers. Poke objects with fingers. Respond to simple requests and know they understand what no means at this point. And now can start saying multiple syllable words like mama or dada. Psychosocial changes. So parents must meet the infant's physical, emotional, and psychological needs for healthy development. Again, newborns, neonates, infants. They are totally 100% reliant on somebody else for everything. In order to eat, in order to bathe, again, they are solely reliant on pretty much mom or dad in most cases. And again, that is going to start building their psychological needs as well. Mom or dad are neglectful, don't tend to the kid. That can have prolonged effects on the kiddo. Infants do not like to be separated from their caregivers. So that's something that's very important for us when we're dealing with assessments, that if we separate the baby from mom or dad, they are, are going to be upset, pissed, start crying. So we need to use that to our advantage. While we're doing our assessment, Keep let the mom or dad hold the baby for as long as possible. Only separate the kid from mom or dad when we absolutely need have to. And again, infants communicate through crying. If they're hot, cold, dirty, wet diaper, 
they're or they're in serious trouble hurting somewhere again they're all going to express it the exact same way cry can detect and respond to parents emotions this is something else that we need to be aware of as well if mom or dad are freaking out upset scared about what's going on with their kiddo the kiddo is going to respond to that and it's going to affect their emotions as well so again Best practice is we should allow the parent to hold the baby during the assessment for as long as we can, only separate them when we absolutely have to. And this may, again, may help keep the baby calm, allowing us to perform a better assessment on the patient. Toddlers and preschool age. So a toddler, the age group of a toddler is defined as ages one to three. And a preschooler, is three to six. So bottle signs for toddlers. Heart rate, resting heart rate, 98 to 140. Respiratory rate, 22 to 37. Again, still faster. Systolic blood pressure is 86 to 106 millimeters of mercury. And temp is 98.6 to 99.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Preschoolers is going to be very similar. Again, but as we're getting older, we're noticing these vital signs. Heart rate, respiratory rate is starting to slow down more to a normal level. Blood pressure is starting to rise back to that adult level. Heart rate, 80 to 120. Respiratory rate, 20 to 28. Systolic blood pressure, 89 to 112. And temp, 98.6 to 99.6. So physiologic changes for these age groups. They're starting to get an increased body mass with the decreased body fat. So again, they're starting to grow. They're getting taller. They're gaining weight constantly after those first two weeks of life. At the same time, though, they're starting to get rid of some of that baby fat, and they're starting to build muscle now. Their primary teeth, their baby teeth, are starting to emerge increased number of alveoli in their lungs, their lungs are getting larger, increasing the size of that alveoli. And remember, it's the alveoli where that gas exchange occurs at. So more alveoli tends to correspond to better gas exchange, more gas exchange that is starting to occur. They're losing their passive immunity, starting to build an active immunity as they're getting exposed to pathogens. They get exposed to something, their body Recognize it, starts building antibodies for it, immunity to it. So the next time it's exposed to it, it can fight it off better. And their brain and motor skills are going to begin to develop quickly during this age as well. Three-year milestones should be able to walk alone, begin to run, pull or carry several toys while walking. Climb up and down furniture or stairs with minimal support. Scribble, play with their toys. Find hidden objects. And should be able to sort objects by shape or color as well. Five-year milestones. <clears throat> Sorry, give me one second. 
Okay. Five-year milestones, stand on one foot for more than 10 seconds. Hop, jump, swing, climb, do somersaults. Dress, undress without assistance. Count 10 or more objects. And then starting to trace and draw pictures as well. Psychosocial changes. They're starting to get better language development. They're starting to able to communicate, talk in full sentences. Develop separation anxiety at about 18 months where they do not like to be separated from their mom or dad or, or family members pretty much at all. Playtime, being around other kids, interacting with other kids is going to help dramatically with their social skills being able to develop. For us, when we're dealing, when we're assessing, when we're talking to kiddos this age, we just need to make sure that we're speaking at that child's level. We don't need to be talking about things like alveoli, respiration, ventilation, when we're talking or asking questions. Make sure that we're asking those questions or explaining things to that kid in a way that that kid is going to understand. Again, they are starting to be very inquisitive. Now they're going to also start worrying about pain as well. So doing things like allowing them to touch the equipment before we use it on them can, again, kind of uh, help some of that anxiety. Let them play with your stethoscope. Let them listen to their own heart with that stethoscope before we try to check blood pressures on them, etc. And again, anytime we're dealing with especially young, young kiddos, allowing mom or dad to hold the kid during assessment is going to be beneficial for us. School age are the ages between a kiddo six to 12 years of age. You do need to know these different classifications. What the, what's the age group of age, uh, school age children that is going to be on your test? So again, I'm pretty familiar with school age kiddos. Both of my kiddos fall into this category. So vital signs for school age. Again, heart rate, respiratory rate starting to lower. Uh, 75 to 118. Respiratory rates, 18 to 25. Systolic blood pressure starting to come up, 97 to 115 millimeters of mercury. And their temperature now is going to be that constant or that normal temp of 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Physiologic changes. Their bones are going to start increasing in density. Bones are going to get stronger. They grow larger as well starting to lose their baby teeth, starting to gain their permanent teeth, starting to learn how to read and write. And some of these kiddos are going to be prone to having nocturnal enuresis, which is involuntary bedwetting. That can continue uh, after the age of 10. Again, not something that may be looked at, but ten tends to not be too concerning. Psychosocial changes. This age, friendships are going to be important. Kiddos are going to start having their BFFs. That changes weekly, but they're going to have friendships. They're going to be very important for them. 
They start to have problem solving skills begin to develop. They start, and I'm talking from my experience as a dad, they break something, they know they're going to get in trouble for it. They're going to try to figure a way to not get in trouble or to hide it from you. They get their self-concept, self-esteem, and morals begin to develop. Again, these are kind of some of those things that may last with them a lifetime. They have an increased understanding of pain, illness, injury, and death as well. These kiddos are going to tend to associate being sick or going to the doctor or hospital with shots, especially. So that is something that is very, a very common fear for us running on young kiddos. They're worried that we're going to have to give them a shot. Adolescents, ages 12 to 18. Vital signs, now we're getting really close, basically almost the same as adults. Heart rate is going to be the same, 60 to 100 beats per minute. Respiratory rate, 12 to 20. Systolic blood pressure is 110 to, over, to 131. And again, temperature is going to remain constant at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Physiology changes. These adolescents tend to go through two or three year growth spurts where they grow pretty quickly. Generally, girls finish growing by the age of 16, boys by the age of 18. It is this age group that most of them anyway are going to reach uh, puberty, that reproductive maturity. Puberty is the period in which sexual organs mature and reproductive maturity is reached. Girls normally begin puberty about age 10. Studies have shown that this puberty is the age that puberty is normally occurring at. It is starting to get earlier and earlier as well. Boys are a little slower. They normally begin puberty at the age of 12. Now, that is going to be very important for us to note, especially in females, because one thing that we always worry about, especially a female in childbearing age having lower abdominal pain, we always have to inquire and ask questions about possibility of pregnancy. So that's just something that we need to note. Again, that can put us in a pretty uncomfortable situation having to ask a 13, 14, 15-year-old having lower abdominal pain, is there any chance that she's pregnant? Now, how often do you think they're going to be honest with us in those cases as well? Maybe, maybe not. So again, that's just something that we have to be prepared for and have to start considering with patients as well. Psychosocial changes. Changes can result in family conflict if there's a lot of fighting at home, divorce. Again, that can have a prolonged lasting effect on the patients. Kiddos, adolescents, teenagers believe that they are the focus of others' attention, and they have the feeling of invulnerability. They are means they're they don't really fully grasp all the consequences to their actions, so they may engage in more riskier behavior too. So trauma is going to be a very common call for these type of age group. They have a desire to be treated like adults. But legally cannot make their own their own medical decisions. Remember, 
pediatric kiddo cannot make their own medical decision until they reach the age of 18. So if we have a 17-year-old that's adamantly not wanting to go to the hospital, but mom wants that 17-year-old to go, we have to take the kid to the hospital. And for this age group, privacy is going to be very important. So kind of, kind of going back onto asking some of those sensitive questions, like asking a 14-year-old, is she pregnant in front of mom or dad? Asking that question in front of mom or dad is probably not going to be a good idea. Either it's going to make us all very uncomfortable, and, or it's going to probably promote the patient to lie, lie to us. So to ask those type of questions, ask about sexual activity and so forth, it's, always, it's probably going to be best to wait until we can separate mom, dad from that patient before we start asking those type of questions. Psychosocial changes, they start experimenting with alternate identities. Can they start to understand there are consequences to their actions? Now, they may flat out ignore them or don't care about them, but they know if they do something, they could have it could have consequences. May engage in self-destructive behavior, depression, and suicide uh, rates begin to increase this age group as well. Very concerned with their body image, how others perceive them as well. And again, once they go through puberty, they may start engaging in sexual behavior as well. Early adulthood, these are ages 20 to 40. Vital signs for early adulthood, heart rate, resting heart rate is, is 70, respiratory rates 12 to 20. Blood pressure is 120 over 80. And the temp is going to remain the same at 98.6 degrees. <clears throat> Physiologic changes, it's during early adulthood where they have optimum function of their body systems. All of their body systems now should be fully matured and they should be working at its best function that it's ever going to the rest of their lives. Patients tend to reach their physical peak between ages 19 and 26 years of age. And again, since their body function should be in its optimal function, we don't worry so much about medical. The bigger concern with early adulthood, ages 20 to 40, is going to be accidents and trauma, more so than pathology, diseases, and so forth. Psychosocial changes. They have increased responsibility and independence. This age is their start to move or earlier, starting to move out of mom or dad's house, starting to get careers, starting their own families as well. So they have that increased responsibility and independence. Again, they may marry, beginning families, <clears throat> and beginning careers. And they're getting introduced to high levels of job stress. And again, maybe they haven't experienced that type of stress in the past. Middle adulthood, 
ages 41 to 60 years of age. Vital signs are going to be roughly the same. Heart rate, normal 70. Respiratory rates, 12 to 20. Blood pressure is 120 over 80. And temperature is going to be that 98.6. Physiologic changes from 41 to 60, they are going to start having some decline in body systems and concerns with chronic diseases. Again, their body systems now are starting to get years of wear and tear on their system, so they're not going to be functioning as well as they did previously while, when they were younger. So because of this, they're going to start being more prone to these chronic disease processes. Weight gain may occur, which is common. Vision changes, eyes are going to start wearing out, start kind of weakening, uh, higher instances of this population having to go to glasses, increasing the strength of their prescription. Women typically undergo menopause in their late 40s to early 50s. Menopause is the cessation of menstruation and fertility. Psychosocial changes. At this stage of life, their problems are seen more as challenges than threats. Again, they've, they've already lived through their 20s and 30s, so they've already gone through uh, stress, hard times, etc. So problems that they're experiencing now, again, they're used to. They've been there, done that. They know it's probably short-term, and they know they just need to adjust something in order to overcome it. Again, been there, done that. So they have more developed coping skills typically than that of younger patients do as well. Something does go wrong, they're able to deal with it. Starting to become aware of their time limits. They know they're on kind of on that back hill uh, uh, part of their lives. They're gonna start making plans for uh, their later stages in life. Focus on others rather than themselves. And they start having these transitions in parenting where their kids are now starting to be grown. They're starting to move out of the house to get married, to have careers, starting to be grandparents at this stage of their lives as well. Late adulthood is ages 61 years and older. For our elderly patients, that's their vital signs are going to be very dependent on their underlying physical and health status. Well, how? what's their overall health? What kind of disease processes do they have? That's really going to kind of determine what their normal vital signs are. Underlying diseases, poor physical condition, and medications may alter vital signs. That's one reason right there. It is very important for us when we're dealing with patients, assessing patients, that we do get a list or take their medications with us, write down what medications they are taking. Those medications we're taking can, in some situations, very dramatically alter the normal set of vital signs that we expect to see for certain conditions. So understanding pharmacology, what medications that patient is taking can aid with our assessment. So again, it's going to be very dependent on what's going on with the patient, conditions, medications, but generally heart rate is going to, heart rate and respiratory rate are going to increase with age and blood pressure as well. 
So everything is going to start increasing. Their heart rate, resting heart rate is going to be higher. Their rest, resting respiratory rate is going to be higher. Their blood pressure are going to be uh, higher as well. Other things like their skin is going to start losing elasticity. It's going to become weaker. Their pupils are going to be more sluggish, don't respond to light as briskly or as quickly as younger patients as well. Again, normal temperature still will remain at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Physiologic changes, the maximum lifespan has been 120 years. Again, obviously the average is around 82, 84 in the United States. I'm not exactly sure. Again, the older the patient gets, the more prone they are to getting diseases, chronic conditions. Cardiovascular systems change, changes increase the myocardial workload. Again, the heart has gone through years of wear and tear. It's going to be starting to wear out, starting to weaken. So that's going to cause that heart to have to work harder to continue to circulate blood to the, the patient. <clears throat> And hearing and vision may become impaired as they age as well. Brains actually begin to shrink. They start having some neuron loss as well. Uh, makes them tend to be more unsteady on their feet. Uh, the brain becoming smaller actually it increases the likelihood of the brain getting injured during a fall as well. Elderly patients can have memory problems. They can also are prone to getting disruptions of their sleep cycles as well. Reaction times slow. So if they do kind of trip or stumble, they're less likely to catch themselves, meaning they're going to be more prone to, to falling. Respiratory system changes, diminish their ability to cough. Their lung capacity decreases as well and gas exchange is not going to be as effective or efficient as it once was as well. So it's perfectly normal to start seeing drops in things like pulse, pulse ox, O2 sats, in an elderly patient. Their normal may be 90 to 89%, even if they have no lung diseases. Again, they lose their cough reflex as they're, it's not as strong. So again, they're going to be more prone to choking. Not only that, they're going to be more prone to things like pneumonia because of that as well. Have diminished smell, taste, hearing, and vision. All of their senses, again, begin to kind of fail. They have diminished pain perception. They may have a very significant injury, and it just doesn't feel very severe to them. Um, Kinesthetic sense, again, that's just going to make them more unsteady, uneasy on their feet, making them more prone to fall. Elderly patients can have problems staying hydrated and with nutrition, continuing to be nourished, not getting malnourished. Can have the changes in the ability to communicate if they are having vision, or not necessarily vision, but hearing loss. Again, they may have to alter the way that we communicate with them. Especially in our elderly patients, their health status is going to vary wildly. 
I've ran on 98, 99-year-olds that don't take any prescribed medications that was looked like a healthy 80-year-old by looking at them. On the flip side of that, I've ran on 62-year-olds that are on two pages full of medications that look a lot older than they are and are in very poor health. So again, it's going to be just very patient dependent, especially once we get in to our elderly geriatric patients. Psychosocial changes. They, again, they're on definitely in, nearing the end of their lives. They may be satisfied with the outcome of their lives or they may have regrets, they, wishing they would have done things differently. The regrets can lead to depression. Suicide rates in the elderly is at a higher percentage than some other age groups as well. So suicide is a real problem in the elderly patients. They can have feelings of isolation may occur. Again, their families moved out. They may have just lost their spouse for several years. Family doesn't visit as much as they want them to. So again, they can that can lead to that sense of isolation. Financial difficulties may occur, maybe in retired. Uh, they've already lived longer than their retirement has lasted. So now they're starting to worry about finances. And when we're dealing with the elderly, one of their biggest and greatest fears is their loss of independence. And that directly can pertain to our assessment. They may, may, may not be completely truthful with us about what's going on with them, or they may delay seeking medical attention because one of their concerns is they're going to lose their independence. They're going to, they're afraid if they get admitted to the hospital, their people are going to think, no, they can't take care of themselves and they're going to get put into a nursing home or they're going to force them to move in with family, uh, kids, et cetera. So again, dealing with the geriatrics, one of their biggest fears is that loss of independence. And again, that may cause them to downplay signs and symptoms with us or delay seeking medical attention. <clears throat> and that decreased independence can affect feelings of well-being as well, lead to depression. There's been several studies that a positive outlook also has been proven to improve healing times and, and uh, healing as well. So we have a patient that failed to break their hip, otherwise was completely healthy. They get put into a nursing home for that broken hip, and then they get they just downgrade and get extremely sick very quickly and then die pretty quickly. Again, that decreased independence can affect that feelings of well-being. And again, they can down uh, decrease pretty quickly. With the <clears throat> late adulthood, some treatment considerations. Most older patients can be healthy. Again, they may have chronic diseases and so forth that are maintained with medications. We never assume that confusion in an elderly patient is normal for that patient. But we don't need to rule out that being a possibility as well. Anytime we see confusion in a patient, until we are told otherwise, we always assume that the confusion is an acute change or rapid sudden onset. So again, we have to rely, oftentimes may have to rely on others. Asking family members, is this patient Patient's a little confused. Is this normal for the patient or is this abnormal for the patient? But again, unless we know for sure that they do have a history of Alzheimer's, dementia, et cetera, if they are confused, 
we always assume it is a acute change. Don't assume that older adults are hearing impaired. Don't immediately walk into an old person's house and begin yelling at them because we assume that they can't hear us. And again, for oral geriatrics, determining what their normal is is going to be the key for treating the patient. We need to determine what their normal is, compared normal to what we're seeing as abnormal now, and base our treatment decisions, et cetera, off of the difference. So in summary, people develop and change throughout their lifespans. Changes are both physical, psychosocial as well. And it is important to understand the assessment and management modifications needed for each stage in life. So again, you need to know that there is differences. Again, you do need to know the differences in those age group categories, what a, a child, a school age child is, the age groups, et cetera. And again, we just need to understand that how we treat or assess patients based on their is going to be based in to some part based on their age.